the metaverse as a sort of concept is more of a science fiction thing really let's be honest at the moment than it is a reality in terms of how it might how we'd, we'd like it to be or how some people would like it to be and yet all these imaginings of it in fiction are all pretty negative and dystopian and the company that's really sort of thrown it out there and said we need to make this a big thing is arguably the most sinister of all the social media companies with a boss that nobody really likes very much in, on the on the world stage and yet the telecom sector seems to think this is a good thing to go for and yeah you know, and you look at i mean we're going to come on and talk about quarterlies but apparently i mean one big message coming out of the analyst community at the moment and this is why facebook share price is struggling i think is that Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. It feels like ages since the last one, which we did over in Amsterdam, didn't we? Mm -hmm. uh, Network X. Has it been? A, it's been a couple well, of weeks. Well, it's been, yeah, it's been, a, yeah, almost a couple of weeks. We didn't do one last week because of half term. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not going to be doing one for another week and a half after this. Yeah, because this is a Tuesday, so it'll probably, we'll probably get it out tomorrow, Wednesday. And then, yeah, and then it'll be the following Friday. So sorry we're being a bit sporadic, everyone, but, you know, that's life. Um, what's going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit knackered today because I sort of accidentally stayed out really late last night on a Monday. <laughs> As happens. Um, accidentally? Yeah. I, I, I went to a thing. In fact, I, I'm not even going to go on about the thing I went to because it's quite contentious. But just an interesting talk by um, by some sort of moderately well-known people on, on sort of culture war topics. That's why I'm not going to go into it. I mean, I don't really mind, but it's not it's not the purpose of this pod. Um, and then there were beers after, and then before I knew it, I got home about two in the morning. Bloody hell. You have got a bit of a journey back, though, from those sorts of things, haven't you? Yeah, I do. So, um, as I experienced at the weekend. Yes, of course. Well, so that's the other thing that we should reflect on. Our, our own deputy editor got married last weekend. Um, and uh, and we were both. I was at the wedding all day, and then you came along in the evening, and so you had the experience of getting to and from Hitchin. Yeah. Now you see why it sometimes takes me a while to get here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not bad. It's, it's on the main sort of train I think, lines. I think it must be better during the week though, because you come into Blackfriars, don't you? Yeah. It's quite quick. Whereas the only train I could get was to Kings Cross St Pancras. Right. And it stopped at quite a few stops, and it was. How long is your train normally? Your journey? Yeah, the, the quick ones. Only about, I mean, all the way to Blackfriars, about 45 minutes, On actually sat on the train, I think. Oh, right, well, this wasn't... Maybe yeah. half an hour? I don't know. Half an hour's, yeah, well, this was sort of 45, <laughs> 50 minutes, half an hour's quite Okay, well, maybe, maybe, but, I'm, maybe it's half an hour. I'm, but, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's that. It's feeling a bit knackered. And then, we, and then we went out for lunch just now. Yeah. With an old um, uh, telecoms PR buddy of ours. Yeah. And so we had a couple of beers, but I don't think we're, we're nowhere near pissed or anything, are we? No. Just had a couple of cheeky Camden Pales with our lunch. Yep. Um, but that's probably all contributing to me sounding a little bit subdued, but I'm mm -hmm. sure I'll perk up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could do a few nights off now, if I'm honest. And everyone, everyone we were just talking before we start, started shooting, everyone seems to have some kind of minor bug. Mm. I mean, after, after we got back from doing the last pod, loads of people got the Rona, I got the Rona. Um, Andrew got some nasty flu. It's, it's just that time of year. <laughs> you combine autumn. No, anyway, just to, just to emphasise my point, you do some sort of tuberculotic hack yeah. off camera. Um, yeah, you combine autumn with travelling a lot, and you're just asking for trouble, aren't you? Yeah, into November now. I know it's just first weird. today, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's that. Um, 
so yeah, I think I'll just crack on. I, um, I think we're going to chat about. Yeah, um, I think we're going to chat about. So you travelled again. <clears throat> yeah. Even after that, which I don't envy you. No. You travelled to Madrid to an event called Fuse, mm -hmm. which is a tip, um, tele telecoms infra project, um, a Facebook run thing. In fact, Facebook might come up on more than one occasion. In, in that sense. Yeah. Um, and so you went and I didn't, but I think that's the most interesting thing either of us have done since we did the last pod, so we'll lead with that. Yeah. I think uh, it's quarterly season, a few interesting quarterlies to, to reflect on. Did we talk about on. Network X? From, from there we did, I suppose, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, cool, yeah. That's the last one we did. Yeah, that, that was yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the one on the show. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling like I missed one. The one with the room. No, no, no. I just, I just covered all that in the intro. <laughs> yeah, I know, I wonder but... why I bother sometimes. <laughs> um... <laughs> But, you know, I'll just keep plugging on. Yeah, Can't get the staff on. here. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about quarterlies, um, and that may well overlap with some writing you've done on the public cloud, because most of the quarterlies I covered were what, what we've come to call hyperscalers, mm -hmm. either sort of, or big tech. There's all sorts of names for them. We yeah. all know who they are. Or Fang, or something like yeah. that. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and Facebook had some inter interesting quarterlies as well. I think Fang's becoming used less now. I don't see that as much yeah. anymore, is it? Well, because it's, you uh, know, I always I always thought that the the end, the Netflix was kind of forced in because Netflix yeah, is, does really a much more tech. specific thing. It's and so much smaller. Well, than their market the cap yeah. is is tiny compared it's to some of the other ones. And, you know, and, and I always thought that maybe because you know, certainly on the other side of the pond, if you have that acronym without the N, yeah. It, it, it says a rude word. Which is which is weird mm. because when, when the operators have a whinge about big tech wanting them to pay for network usage, one of the main targets is Netflix because of yeah. the streaming traffic. And yet Netflix is actually one of the smallest companies out of all those players. It's, so. just, it's just a different company. <laughs> but but I suppose that the, the thing that groups them all together is they're very they've got a very heavy presence on the internet. But yeah. other than that, they all do quite different stuff, which we'll probably get into more when we go over the quarterlies. So yeah, we'll do those. We'll do those things. We'll do fuse quarterlies, public cloud, and if anything else comes up, we'll see how it goes. And just to remind you, because I keep forgetting to do that these days, that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Meta, <laughs> on Facebook, on Meta, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, no, that is Facebook. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah you're right, you're right. You're right. Um, uh, then you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Right. Um, let's just get straight into it then. Um, Fuse. Well, I'm kind of totally handing the ball to you, Ian, as you mm. went to Fuse and I didn't. Mm -hmm. Why did you go? How was it? All that. Um, <clears throat> I went because I love Spain mm. and uh, wanted to eat a lot of tapas, hang out in Madrid. Did you get to I eat lots done. of tapas? I, I did get to eat a lot of food because... The reason they called it Fuse was... Oh, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so f basically what Fuse is, is um, tele the Telecom Infra Project. Is that the right name of it, Tip? Yeah, yeah the Telecom tip. Infra Project, yeah. which is Facebook's kind of um, initiative to drive uh, innovation, I guess, in network technologies and yeah. try and lower the cost. been going for a few years now. Once a year they have a big summit, you know, they get people together and talk about their initiatives and what they're doing and the press goes. So it was that, plus... Um, the ORAN Alliance was there. So day one was basically all about Open RAN, which is probably the big topic at the moment for TIP. Yes. Um, 
And the other big organisation in that area is the ORN Alliance. And for a long time, there was worry that they were doing the same thing and they were sort of treading on each other's toes. Now they're coordinating a bit more. And they're very coordinated now. But I think it's been apparent for a while now that they're not actually doing the same thing. You know, one's very much on the spec side of it and the other one's more about use cases and industry momentum and, you know, pushing the message. So they've, they've kind of coordinated this day one where the ORN Alliance was there as well as as well as TIP and you had Jaeger Tenorio who is the um, Vodafone sort of network architecture director but also the chair of TIP at the moment on stage alongside Alex Choi who works at Deutsche Telekom and is now the chair of the ORN Alliance I think Okay. Um, to show that they're you know that they're good co-pilots and everything and not sort of fighting in the cockpit or anything right um and uh, and that was day one. And then day two was more of a sort of standard tip summit day when you had other things like fixed line broadband technologies and a lot of the optical stuff being talked about. And day three, which I didn't actually stay for, but I did kind of write about at a distance, um, but in a sort of jokey, make fun kind of way really, was dedicated to the metaverse, uh-huh. which, I, which was obviously a, a, a subject because... It's a Facebook organised, partly a Facebook organised event. Although I have to say Facebook was less visible than it has been at ones I've been to in the past. Um, but, the, but the fact they had this day three metaverse, I just think slightly bizarre. It's it's like having a day dedicated to Uber. You know, I don't see what the metaverse has got to do with telecom other, other than it's something they have to support. No, I mean, the only thing and, that does come up, I mean, I, I largely agree with you, but I, you know how in, in this industry... They're quite often um, they create solutions. That there are solutions looking for a problem. <coughs> yeah, you know, there's a sort of build it and they will come type of approach. So, so we got this new generation of technology. It does all this stuff, but where where was the actual demand for these new bits for these new technological um, capabilities? And, and you know, with with five G, as we've spoken about loads of times, merely. A fatter pipe isn't enough to justify its existence. The IoT stuff's always felt a bit disingenuous because that was around anyway. Yeah. And so the big one was always this this low latency type of play. Yeah. And that's and that's where metaverse has come in as this as this problem that that is a solution to. Yeah. Although apparently networks aren't good enough for it was one of the messages on stage oh was it yeah i mean this is what i find quite peculiar about the the sort of metaverse envy that the telecom sector seems to have at the moment um it's really quite bizarre you know they the metaverse as a sort of concept is more of a science fiction thing really let's be honest at the moment than it is a reality in terms of how it might how we'd like it to be or how some people would like it to be and yet all these imaginings of it in fiction are all pretty negative and dystopian and the company that's really sort of thrown it out there and said we need to make this a big thing is arguably the most sinister of all the social media companies with a boss that nobody really likes very much in, on the on the world stage and yet the telecom sector seems to think this is a good thing to go for and yeah you know, and you look at well, i mean we're going to come on and talk about quarterlies but apparently i mean one big message coming out of the analyst community at the moment and this is why Facebook share price is struggling, I think, is that nobody cares about the metaverse. Yeah. They, they don't have any, they're, they're, you know, as it exists at the moment, it's not particularly good. So you could argue, well, let's see where it goes. But they, they're struggling to retain users. Apparently, some people even within Facebook have been saying nobody's interested in this stuff. And yet you've got the telecom sector sort of desperately trying to position itself for the metaverse. And the other thing that I find really bizarre about it is, and this, this is by hearsay, because I wasn't in this um, session, I was actually on a plane when it happened. But 
They had a really good Wednesday afternoon. I should have stayed longer. They had a really good Wednesday afternoon session with a guy called Dan Rabinovitz, who's Facebook's head of connectivity. Um, and he wrote a blog earlier in the year at um, Mobile World Congress, basically saying networks today, you know, even with all this 5G, uh, uh, you know, even with all these 5G advances we've got, they're not good enough to support the metaverse. We need a lot more edge networking. We need data centers rolled out. We need to be closer to users. We need sub millisecond latency for any of this to really fly. And he basically turned up and, and reinforced that message. And he had, I mean, there's a really high profile panel, Tarek Amin from Rakuten on it, basically sort of agreeing, which isn't surprising because Rakuten's trying to position its network as this sort of state of the art cloudy thing that has a lot of, they've already done this. They've sort of rolled out these edge data centers across the country that are much closer to, you know, the devices and the users than you get on a, a kind of traditional network or, or so they claim sort of backing up Dan Rubinovitz's message. But for those investments to happen, I mean, they've just, we talk about this a lot, they've, the operators have just spent a huge amount of money upgrading to 5G. They're plowing all this money into fibre, as we were just talking about, you know, at lunch. And now you've got companies saying you need to make, you know, you know, you need to make a lot more investment to be able to support the metaverse. And there's no obvious way how it's going to benefit the operators at all it's there to support application companies and application developers yeah. how will how will a telco make any money out of the metaverse in the same way that how does a telco make any money out of uber well and these are and, the same and, companies and, and, yeah. that that bitch about um the the big internet companies totally. using yeah. their network and they're exactly yeah I, I, the whole there's so many contradictions crazy in it but i mean the, i mean we can talk about that a bit more later yeah, well, we'll the, talk the, about the we'll park the the specific I mean, met, um, meta most of my stuff. coverage is probably on um open ran and but let me just quickly the, go back you you started explaining yeah, yeah the foodie yeah, so, well, well that, that's thing. where open ran kind of comes in because they apparently um they they were having a conversation about how to uh, how to pitch this event and how to sort of dress it up to make it appealing and 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 markety and and buzzy and and I think it was um, I think she's called Caroline Chan I think at Intel it was someone at Intel anyway um, was saying that a, a good metaphor to use is food whenever you sort of you know whenever you're trying to explain because the whole idea of open ran is about mixing and matching Indeed. different ingredients you know taking something from there and something from there and yeah. putting it together and making a, a great meal for your sort of telco right. audience you know why not use the example of why not have a sort of food allegory going on right. at the event to kind of reinforce the message i thought it was quite good I don't, yeah the fuse itself i think is quite bizarre fyuz i don't know that that necessarily works. Fyuz. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't stand for anything. There's a, a weird umlaut above the Y that doesn't seem to mean Which is two anything. dots. Yeah, that they use in German. Uh, yeah, and it and I don't really know where they got that from. That branding, but I like the idea of having this sort of because actually one one way to draw people to events is to have great food, isn't it? Let's be honest. Why do half of these executives travel to these things? It's for networking and drinks and, and having a giggle. And entertainment and having yeah. a giggle. So, and I thought that was quite a good sort of you know way of pitching it and the other interesting thing is if, if you looked at the i mean you, if you've been to tip summit events in the past like the one yeah. at the excel center yeah i did all the stands look exactly the same they're all made of the same basic cheap wood like the same basically kind of commodity equipment 
So it was almost like, you know, and you had these people wandering around with trays and serving canapes all day long. Oh, with really? Some of the food from Asia, some of it from Spain, some of it from wherever. So and they didn't it, spare it, any expense on the, on the nibbles? It wasn't overly extravagant. You know, though you could tell there was a budget. But yeah. I quite liked the, the, the kind of metaphor there of, you know, like any flavour combinations you like served in the same kind of commodity hardware. I seem to remember your, your, yeah. your first report from there that I read. I thought I might have even linked to it. Um, you, you, you gave credits yeah. to the food. Yeah, I thought, and I think it was theme. really well organised. And um, and I like the, you know, they don't do too many streams at the same time. They tend to have a main stage with, you know, something really important happening. There's a couple of spin-out sessions maybe, but most of the executives at any one time are kind of watching that, you know, that main discussion take place. And then everybody in the coffee breaks is talking about the same th- thing yeah. afterwards, obviously. and. It's good from a press point of view as well if there's any limited resources because you're not feeling like you have to sort of be in, be in five or six places at the same time. And really good people there. You know, I mean, top, top sort of telco execs. Someone said to me, someone texted me and said, um, oh, I heard it was only Vodafone, Orange and Deutsche Telekom out of the operator community that were at the event and nobody else. And I sort of thought, well, it's a European event. It's not bad. For a start, Orange was there as well. Well, that's the four big operator groups in Europe. You know, I mean, I don't know what mar- market share they account for in the region, but to suggest that there, w- there wasn't good telco representation there, I think was mistaken. Mm. I mean, you know, the only the only one missing that I didn't see, and they probably were there, was Telecom Italia. Um, and but you also had NTT Docomo. I met them and, and chatted to them. You had Rakuten, so there were there were definitely other other operators. Um, and then I had a really good chat with. Um, Yeager Tenorio, who I yeah. mentioned on, I was actually supposed to meet him on the Monday when I flew in and, and have a, a drink in central Madrid. And, and he wasn't, he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he wasn't particularly well. He had sort of vertigo that day. Oh dear. And he'd, and he'd sort of been to the hospital to try and figure out what was going on. He was all right. right sort of inner ear weirdness. Yeah. Obviously it wasn't anything overly serious because he seemed, he seemed perfectly okay the next two days. So I ended up having a chat with him on the phone and got a lowdown on some of the things they're talking about. And um, yeah, as I say, the whole, the whole, most of the coverage that I did, I think, was basically on open ran. I mean, that okay. was very much the dominant theme, I think, of of the, of the so event. We, even on even on day two, to a certain extent, I think people were still mainly talking about open ran. So we, you know, the theme of this pod in our discussions about open ran has been nice idea. Yeah, obviously, um, <clears throat> introducing as much competition to every stage as possible would, would tend to increase value and innovation, and that in in principle. Nice idea, but in practice, you know, does it deliver? Is it, you know, is it worth all all the fuss? Did did anything? Did you see or hear anything that that sort of evolved your view of Open Run at that event? I mean, so to be critical now that I've sort of talked about the good things and how well organised it was, I still feel there's this sort of slight um, echo chamber thing that sort of goes on, where you know some of the sessions were almost congratulatory you know and like, haven't we come so far and look at, right. look at how I mean they had one uh, one sort of morning session actually on day one that was chaired by Jaeger with some other telco execs there talking about why they're interested in open round and you know he was he was trying to ask critical questions <coughs> and you know and play the journalist to some extent but you still sort of felt that there was a bit of you know we've got there now haven't we and yet if you look at how much open round accounts for in terms of the overall RAN market and yeah, and how 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 far we've moved on. It, it's not really gone very far. 
And, it, and I know people will say it's early days and you've got these analyst projections about it accounting for sort of 15% of spending by 2025. But you think TIP was formed back in 2016? 20, 2016, I think, TIP oh came God. into existence. Um, Sorry, I could carry on. My laptop just crashed. Oh. oh. <laughs> Does that mean we can't... We, we're, we're offline? No, that's fine. You keep talking because okay. this camera is oh. fine. It's just... Wow. How weird. All right. All right. Keep talking. Um, so we had... Yeah, so TIP's now TIP's six years old, and the ORAN Alliance, I think, was formed in 20, early 2018. So that's over four years old. I mean, six, six years in technology is a long time. You know, you look at I looked at Facebook, rev, what Facebook's revenues were back in um, 2016. Do you know what they were? 2015, the, the, that financial year, Facebook I, made no. about 15 mil, uh, tw- less than 20 million, 20 billion, sorry. About to say. Yeah. Um, and they're now over 100 billion. Right. I mean, that kind of growth in that period of time, just, you know, it's. It, and, and yet we're still, the telecom industry seems to have this thing where it's still, you know, things are always about to happen, but they never yeah. do quite happen. And I kind of get that sense with. Open I know people are optimistic and they say, you know, we, we need to give it time. And by the mid 2020s and maybe the late 2020s, it'll be a much more, it'll be something we take for granted even that this gets built in. But but I don't think so. I mean, that comes back again. I know we've done this before, but again, I'm curious to sort of throw it back out there in case you heard anything to <coughs> to further the discussion. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you talk about things like investment cycles... Haven't we just generally assumed that a lot of the investment on 5G is already committed yeah. to not open RAN? Yes. So even if open RAN was brilliant, even if it was demonstrably better than than whatever Ericsson or Nokia have to offer in the RAN, yeah. um, you know, they they've already committed. I mean there's one sort of minor story in the past week I wrote about this new um Ericsson radio um finally being rolled out by BT. And and they'd sort of developed it in partnership with BT, and the big thing about it is it's light. Yeah. And do you remember their publicity photo had a, a female engineer carrying a couple of them, like you know, like they weighed nothing. Yeah. I think they ended up. I think at the time they said they weighed twelve kilos, and it ended up being fourteen kilos. So I don't right. know where the extra two yeah. kg came from. Um, but you know, that's that's a, that's an example. The reason I bring it up is that's an example of a of a sort of predetermined commitment that BT had made to use Ericsson radios. Yeah. So, you know, when... They're not going to swap them out for open RAN stuff anytime soon, are they? No, they're not. And I mean, that's... Yeah, that's an issue that it's... God, this bloody chair. <laughs> that's an issue that... Yeah, for yeah, operators... Yeah, will stitch you have, up in the trailer again. They've, they've signed... Yeah, Benny Hill music coming up again. <laughs> um, the operators obviously have signed long-term contracts with suppliers and have already built out a lot of 5G equipment and not going to replace that. And I don't yeah. think Vodafone's an exception to that. So if you talk to... Again, I sort of talked a little bit to um, Jäger Tenori about that. And he was saying, you know, they probably have some kind of tent. If you think about whether, you know, how long their equipment's been rolled out and when they might next think about doing some kind of upgrade over some of the footprint, you know, in, in European markets, he's talking about the mid 2020s. They start to think about issuing requests for proposal, <laughs> you know, and then you maybe have some kind of swap out going on around 2027, 2028. I mean, their target, remember, is not to have the whole thing replaced with open RAN by 2030. It's to have 30%, I think, is their goal. Okay. Which Who, is, when you say their goal, is that TIP's goal? You that's say? Vodafone's goal. Vodafone's goal, Vodafone's goal is to have 30% of its RAN footprint in Europe open RAN by 2030, which is quite, it's quite ambitious, but mm. it's not inconceivable given, you know, given the sort of replacement cycles, I think, and, and 
yeah. you know, fragile rights also taking a long time. Let's remember that. You know, I mean, there's a lot that hasn't been done. You know, I'm, I'm trying to sort of speak from the open round pro side of things for the moment. That we, yeah. we're only at what 50% coverage in in the UK, for instance. Um, oh, that would be population coverage, wouldn't it? Rather than, I mean, geographical coverage or even smaller. Yeah, than that. exactly. Yeah. Now you get now you get markets like. Um, so I talked to NTT Docomo. I mean, they're, they're, they claim to be sort of fully open ran already. You know, they've been doing this for a long time. They've been doing this since the sort of 4G days of, of putting baseband supplies together with different radio suppliers. And they say that's sort of built into their their model from, from, from the get-go. They were doing it before you had specifications. And they were already at, I think they've got 20,000 5G base stations up now. And they're claiming that provides them with pretty much nationwide coverage. And you'd still want to put in some other stuff for densification reasons yeah. but what they haven't done is virtualized it it's an open round but it's not a virtualized round and when i was saying well how you know how quickly do you want to move towards a virtual run it's the same thing it's like well you've got to take out equipment to do it why would you do that unless there's a really compelling reason because you're just writing it's off. already there and it's yeah. doing the job yeah i mean yeah. The, the bigger problem for me is i i think you have to recognize that the stuff that's already there isn't going to get swapped out quickly you could still see a, a, a reason you know that that's not necessarily going to be a long-term obstacle to open round i think the 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 bigger sort of philosophical question is what what are they trying to achieve through Open RAN really? And, you know, who are the winners going to be? I mean, this idea that it's going to be this, you know, super competitive market of dozens of, of companies sort of competing against each other and operators using six or seven different suppliers in their networks. And I just don't believe that at all. And nothing no. I saw at Madrid last week convinced me otherwise. In fact, you know, one thing that was very noticeable was some of those companies being talked up by Vodafone as well are big are other big companies. You know, they're not, you know, the, the you know, Vodafone's swap out, for instance, in the UK where it's taking out Huawei equipment and putting in, you know, an open RAN network, most of that's gone to Samsung. Mm. Um, you know, that seems to have been one of the big winners from Open RAN so far. You know, that Diego Tenori is very much a kind of evangelist about this stuff and I think he has a different vision of how thing how he wants things to go than somebody like I, mean, I don't want to put words in Nick Reed's mouth because I've not talked to him about it. But if I imagine how he's thinking about this, it's probably a completely different way. He doesn't yeah. want he doesn't want a duopoly in the market where you you know you've got rid of Huawei and you've only got Ericsson and Nokia that you can use. But if you have one other company or two other companies in there that were doing a similar thing, that would probably be good enough for him not to have to sort of worry about security issues and you know not having redundancy. But Vodafone, I, I seem to remember, was one of the. It had, I think, on the first day of Fuse, it had something like four press releases yeah. coming from there. It's been one of the most sort of busy. Yeah, but they're in this space, isn't and it? their press releases are sort of reinforced to me in a way. They're kind of reinforcing that the win the winners from this on the vendor side seem to be kind of other big kit vendors. You know, there, there right. wasn't anybody talking very much about Parallel Wireless or Mavenir or JMA Wireless or whoever it might be, some of these smaller players are Acceleran, you know, on the, on the European yeah, side. Yeah, and then you look at other it's, players that have become, I mean, I know they've been around for ages and they've always been big, but someone like NEC. Um, yeah, well, they're, they're another one that could be a winner from this. Yeah, they're, they're, but they're a big old established player. They're a big established player. company. Fujitsu's yeah. another one. You know, it's the big kit vendors that seem to be other big kit vendors that didn't have quite as big market share, sort of lost that in the 4G days, and now kind of, Using open RAN to get you know to get into, but the, isn't that good enough? Well, maybe, I mean, maybe if, it if, is. if the main concern, and I, this shouldn't be the main concern, but often it's positioned this way. If the main concern is we've created a duopoly by uh, banning Chinese vendors, 
and we've yeah. got to do something about that duopoly. Well, if that duopoly then turns into a sort of oligopoly of, that includes Samsung and NEC and, and a few others, yeah, then that's job done, at least for that particular objective of open round. But that doesn't seem like a good enough reason by itself. Maybe, yeah, as I say, maybe that's good enough. If open ran, if that's what open ran achieves, it is to propel Samsung and Nokia, let's say, and maybe one other, and you have a, a four or five player market minus, yeah. minus Huawei, you've got, say, Ericsson, Nokia. By the way, Nokia is one of the companies mentioned in Vodafone's announcements. Yeah. Because one of the messages that they were coming out with is that. You know, Nokia's been saying for a long time, we're really on board with Open RAN, you know, we're Open RAN compatible. But at the same time, there's been a certain amount of pushback. You know, you talk to Tommy Wito, who's the head of mobile, and he's like, oh, it's not as good as our, you know, our, our kind of customised stuff. And it, it, there's a sort of... Um, there's there's always sort that of, tension. There's a tension. There's like yeah. a bit of a schizophrenia going on there. And then and people have been a bit dubious about, are they really on board with Open RAN because it's going to hurt them, you know, if they potentially could hurt them. So are they really that enthusiastic about it? And and one of Vodafone's messages, and I talk, this is one of the things I talked to Yiga Tenori about, is, you know, he was saying we really endorse what they're doing. You know, they, that we now feel that they are on board with this. They're open rank compliant. The stuff they've been showing us ticks all the boxes. You know, but I just wonder what 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 does that mean if you. Open RAN could just be that you buy your kit from Samsung or Nokia, and it's it's compliant with the ORAN specifications. And therefore, if you did want to take a bit of stuff out mm. and not the whole thing and bring somebody else in, you could, but you're still going to buy it all from Nokia or Ericsson. Because it's just or, easier or and they've because got all the system integration expertise of and that that's, particular And that's the area. other big challenge. That that was probably what one thing I think that stood out as and, and is becoming the really, really big problem, I think, for Open RAN is the systems integration side of things. So the one of the other initiatives at the event was to do with systems integration. It's this, again, it's Vodafone tying up we're teaming up with NTT Docomo. They're sort of sharing experience between their two labs. And what they're basically trying to do is provide, I think sort of provide almost like a, you know, like a cookbook of recipes almost to the industry. You know, here's this, we, we've proven that Mavenir works with um, Fujitsu and you can use that, you can use that flavor combination and it'll all work out for you. And we've already tested it in our labs. We've taken away that sort of pre-integration headache you know, and here you are to operators in other markets that don't have the resources to do that sort of thing. This is something you can use. And why would they do that? You know, to help to sort of it's not it's not a sort of altruistic thing. They obviously mm. need to get scale and, you know, and support for for these different flavor combinations. They need people to be using them. Otherwise, it won't be economical. You know, you need to build up traction. But at the end of the day, if they if they're just playing that systems integrator role themselves, and that's yeah. very much how NTC Docomo seems to see itself as a systems integrator, they're potentially another choke point then. And and Diego Tenori conceded to me, he said systems integrators could be another another sort of form of lock-in. You know, we need to be quite careful about being overly reliant on someone like Tech Mahindra or Rakuten even, even named Rakuten as, as, as a company that could just end up looking like Ericsson, potentially. It's a risk. Um, well, and... You know, it, it strikes me that anything you buy, let's say, I don't know, let's say a bike, a push bike, you know, you you buy it by a certain brand. In principle, every little component of it, the wheels, the brakes, the gears, the seat, can all be provided by a multitude of suppliers and probably is. Yeah. But you buy the fucking bike, don't you? Yeah. Um, you know. I mean, maybe well, some someone people, has to put it together. Yeah, and maybe so, some people who are really keen, maybe if they're dro if you're dropping a couple of grand on a bike, you might go on and really sort of micromanage. Or if you're if you're a real sort of power, 
user type of thing. But most people just go, I'll have I'll have a bike for around five hundred quid, please. Yeah. And assume that all the components are more or less, you know, getting what you pay for. Yeah. Um, well, and you, you've so, got several options, haven't you? You you either do it yourself which is kind of what Vodafone seems to want to do. And I think that's partly ties in with its whole, we need we need lots more software engineers in the in the company over the next few years. Part of that's to, to be more, to have sort of technology yeah. independence and to take charge of some of this systems integration. Go from being themselves. a telco to a techco. Yeah, and not rely on the likes of Tech Mahindra or Accenture to do it. But if they do that, it... Um, there's a huge operational burden then that you're taking on in-house. Mm. Yeah, you've got to you've got to do the job that Ericsson used to do. Ericsson's a bloody big company, a <laughs> hundred thousand employees. They've been doing this stuff for years. All it's ever done is radio. all it's ever done is yeah. put stuff together that and, know, and it knows how to do that and optimize it and make it work. And and they have a lot of people doing that. So you're you're basically taking on that task. There's going to be an impact on your margins doing that. Yeah, okay, maybe you've got technology independence and you're not sort of. You know, you're not tied to this. You're not. You don't have this lock-in situation because you're the, you're you're the you're the guys with the know-how. But there's a cost and there's an effort involved mm. in doing it. If you're a smaller company and you don't have the resources to do that, a smaller tier two operator, then what do you do? You either use a system. You either buy it all from Ericsson, just carry on doing what you were doing, or Samsung. You can call it Open Run if you want because it ticks all the boxes mm-hmm. and it's all the specifications are there. But basically, you still just want one throat to choke. The old saying. So you go and buy it all from the same company, or you use a systems integrator. But then you've got this concern about you're just replacing one source of locking yeah. with another. Whether it's whether it's Rakuten or NTT Docomo it doesn't really matter, does it? What? What? Why? Just because it's another operator doesn't necessarily mean that the the locking couldn't exist in the same way. You're still dependent yeah. on that company. So, so maybe what it really does. So you know, we've ticked off one thing it might do, which is turn a duopoly back into an oligopoly of four or five major players. And then the other thing it does is you know, the, the purpose of competition as far as broader market dynamics goes is to keep everyone honest yeah. and keep prices down. Well, I don't, just on your point that you just said, because it's interesting about yeah. it going back to an, an oligopoly, the, the, the thing is I don't know if they really needed Open Round to do that. Right. You know, you know what I mean? It's like you, we, we've, we've taken Huawei out of the market in lots of countries, and that's probably going to carry on, let's be honest. I mean, some of these European countries that are still sitting on the fence yeah. are probably going to go to a point of not using China. Well, certainly the Americans are not showing any sign of they're, they're, making up with the Chinese. They're more fanatical about it now than they were under Trump. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest, they are. They've really kind of gone gung-ho on this now in a big way. And I don't, I don't, I don't see that relationship lasting really with Huawei in European markets I think a lot of countries are just going to become Huawei free in the next five to ten years yep, seems, seems and therefore plausible. if you do that there's, there's automatically then a big gap that somebody else can fill and either either Nokia and Ericsson pick up that market share or somebody else does Samsung and NEC and Fujitsu and these other guys that we're talking about who are massive massive companies they didn't need open RAN to come along and, and get their no. foot in the door I mean, Samsung was already you know, you know, 4G ramping up, and yeah. it's definitely already positioned well and, for and 5G. What, and, and this idea that you, you know, that the whole thing, the whole thing about Open RAM was, oh, it allows companies to specialise. You know, you, you can you can just concentrate on doing radio units. You don't have to worry about the baseband or all the other stuff that goes into a radio access network. And you can throw all your resources at one thing. And therefore, as a smaller company, you've got more chance. And because it's Open RAM, and you don't have to have those other components. You don't have to bring those to the table because operators can pick and mix. You've, you've still got a role to play then. 
that's 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 one of the messages you know that mm. it's, it supports specialists in that way well they're not those companies aren't specialists samsung nec they're now I think NEC, when it when it was first being talked up by Rakuten and the, you know, the role it was playing in Rakuten's 5G network was just doing radio units, but they've now moved into doing software. They're, they're talking about doing systems integration themselves. They've got orchestration products. Samsung's been adding to its portfolio. They're becoming, and even Mavenir, which is one of the smaller companies that originally started out as a baseband specialist, even that now has radio units and wants to be a systems integrator and wants to be an end-to-end company. That's come directly from the CEO in the last few weeks. They raised funding to help them be that. So if all these companies then become end-to-end players, the whole message about it supporting specialists and allowing people to focus their resources on one area is is just bunker, isn't it, then? Yeah, totally. Uh, So, I mean, so there is that. And then... You know, there's the other point. So we've spoken about sort of market dynamics and all that sort of thing. Um, and then there's the other point of just performance. Will you just stop dicking about with the chair? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Your chair does seem especially creaky. Yeah. That's well, next time let's swap these two around maybe. Mm. Anyway. Um, That's very vertical, that one. It's like... God, it's no pleasing yeah. some people, isn't it, Pierre? They're a couch. Yeah. I need a couch, yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could do the one today. She's probably just as well I haven't got one. I'll be nodding off, no offence. Um, is, uh, you know, is performance. Um, I think it might have been at Network X or sometime recently someone was chatting to me about how, you know, um, op- Open RAN is, is, is sort of critical to certain other developments to do with the cloud, which, which we will talk about more, and all that sort of thing. And it gets a bit in the weeds and, and a bit above my pay grade when we're talking about VRAN and cloud native this and all that sort of thing. I kind of lose track of where everything's ending up. Yeah. But it seems to be associated with this direction that a lot of telecoms is evolving into, which is softwareized and virtualized and cloudified and all that sort of thing. But and that may be true, but I think, I think again, Ericsson and Nokia do plenty of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and I guess the underlying question is, you know, an, an open RAN solution needs to be at least as good as whatever Ericsson or Nokia are offering, and yeah. ideally better. And you know, did you get any evidence that that there are some sort of USPs from open RAN in, in terms of performance or capabilities or whatever? Yeah, I mean, Open RAN and, and VRAN are two slightly different things, yeah. and, and and that's that's a whole. And you, as soon as I brought whole, it up, I knew I was getting out of my depth. Well, that's becoming a whole um, semantic debate in a way, and I actually talked to a few chip makers about this. Um, you know, because one of the ways around the um, performance issues that you get on general purpose processors is to use these accelerators alongside them to sort of boost the performance, basically, right, um, of, of the baseband processing. Um, and you've got various companies now trying to do that: Qualcomm, Marvell, Broadcom. You know, they're all they're all sort of pitching these yep. accelerators, usually sort of ARM-based um, silicon. Um, you know, and you'd use that at the, at the sort of layer one of the network to to sort of add some zip, to add some some boost, I guess, and and to, and to try and overcome that that issue that you've got of using you know general purpose x86 processors. You basically move some of the functions off the x86 yeah. onto these accelerator cards but the trouble so not, then not is, dissimilar to the concept of like a graphics card and a pc maybe. yeah the, the the trouble then is it's arguably not really a virtual ran anymore 
you've, you've kind of turned it again into a physical thing. You've, you've got this accelerator card that is dedicated to doing one particular thing, which is supporting layer one. And the whole point of virtualization is that you, you know, you're, there's a, there's a separation of software and hardware and you can move resources around and you can use things for different purposes, basically. So there's this sort of semantic debate about mm. is, is it reasonable to call some of the stuff that people like Qualcomm and Marvell and Nvidia are doing, is it really, is it really then still virtual RAM? Yeah. It might be open RAM because you, you can, you know, you can put your baseband unit with, you know, where the software comes from Samsung, let's say, with a radio from whoever it might be, Mavenir or whatever, but but it might might not strictly <coughs> be virtual RAM. Mm. I mean, I, if you if you can get beyond that and and and, and you're more accepting of, of what those chip makers are doing that are competing against Intel in that area, I don't really see that many reasons why the performance issue, the performance of those networks can't be on a par with, with Ericsson and, and Nokia right. because... You know, actually, the silicon in in some cases that those companies are using comes from the big US chip makers yeah. anyway. I mean, if you look at Nokia, which has been very open about who its suppliers are, they're they're Broadcom, Intel, and Marvell. You know, and right. I don't know now. I'm pretty sure if you talk to, to Nokia, they'd say well, we add a lot on top. You know, it's it's our silicon special as well. Source. It's our special source. But is is what they're doing just stitching stuff together and adding their software? Are they really doing anything on the silicon side? I mean, maybe Ericsson does a bit more. It has this unit called Ericsson Silicon, you know, and it doesn't, I mean, it's more secretive, I think, about who it works with on that front. But, you know, I just feel that those, you know, that those, Qualcomm knows what it's doing, yeah? In, and does. so does Marvel in, in, in you know, in, when it comes to doing radio access network stuff. Um, I don't really see any reason why Merchant Silicon can't, can't be sort of sold into a, a you know a market where they work with a multitude of software players mm. and they're able to sort of get performance that's almost similar if, maybe not as quite as good because you know because it hasn't been optimized from the get-go for someone's software but i don't see why it can't be almost on, on a so, par with it so it seems to me that the definition of open ran is becoming harder to pin down like, is this well, an open it, round it thing? It shouldn't ever have been hard to pin down. It's actually quite straightforward. It's just people have conflated it with virtual round, right, okay. which is a different thing. Yeah. I mean, NTT Docomo is a classic example of an open round network that isn't virtualized. They, they for a long time, they've taken... So, uh, as I understand it, what they've done is they've taken Nokia's computing products, the baseband stuff, that you sort of find at the bottom of the cell tower normally, and they've used that with, you know, radios from people like Fujitsu, um, but it's not, it's not virtualized. It's 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 Nokia's, you know, dedicated, customized yeah. stuff on its own sort of baseband servers, running Fujitsu's radios. Whereas virtualization, you'd be doing the baseband stuff on general purpose, right? Uh, you know, x86 basically. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Yes. So I mean, it could just be because I'm a bit knackered, but I just sometimes struggle to get my head round what direction this is all going in you know what the point i'm sure had i gone to the event like you i'd i'd be more enlightened um but i know i'm just not sure if i feel any closer to be able to form a, a strong opinion about um 
how much of a good thing Open RAN is, how much it's the future of the the tele of the telecoms industry on the whole. Yeah, it feels kind of what you're alluding to. We've been talking about this for a few years. It still feels like it's sort of bobbing along at a similar level to it's been for a while. Do you agree? Yeah, I I, I just don't know if it's going to change the the thing. The thing for me is I don't necessarily see it changing the market dynamics basically right. that much. Um, you know, I could see I could see us in a situation where, let's say it's 2027, 2028, and all those analysts are able to say that their forecasts were right and Open RAN now accounts for 25, 30% of networks or something. And yet you look at who's providing the networks <coughs> and it's Nokia and Samsung and maybe even Ericsson. And they can all say, yeah, our stuff's ORAN compatible. It complies with the specifications. Mm. And companies are still going to one of let's say three or four big kit vendors to get their products and maybe you've got a few instances of someone doing a bit more kind of pick and mix um but you know you look at what ntt docomo has done they have several suppliers there but they you know how an operator would normally do it like bt in the uk would carve up the country and they give one bit of the country to huawei and one bit of the country to nokia and then say another bit to Ericsson. They might let's say they have three suppliers in them. I don't think BT does actually. I think it's only ever done two, and it's now going to Ericsson, Nokia from having Huawei there. But you, you have others that have had three there before. NT, what NTT Docomo does, it, it doesn't slice it geographically. It slices it by domain, kind of by those two big domains, so the radios right. and the baseband stuff. And they've got say Nokia in on the baseband side, and maybe maybe one other. And on the radio side, they've got Fujitsu and someone else. So they've got, you know, three or four companies as well. But they're just not doing it geographically. They're doing it by... So you've still got a small number of vendors in the mix. Mm -hmm. They're very big companies. They're not small specialists. Just the because, mix has been jumbled up Because no Nokia is able to do... Um, you know, they're able to do everything. And actually, people at NEC are moving into other parts of the network. They're able to do everything as well. You know, it's like getting back to what Neil McRae at BT says. You know, you don't save money by having eight or nine suppliers yeah. in the network. You, you save money by having two or three, by, by cutting the number out. And nobody wants to work with that many suppliers because you've got to integrate it all together. Yeah. You've got to stitch it all together and make it work. You know, you have to have that, put that operational effort in unless someone does it for you. So, so I, guess I just, I just, I can see, I just don't understand where, how it's really going to, the commercial side of it's how I, struggle to get it more than the technical side really yeah you know you, you want you want to keep your costs down so you don't want to have too many too much operational overhead you probably want to deal with a small number of suppliers yeah maybe that maybe the faces change and you've got samsung there instead of huawei but and and you can call it open ram because they've ticked the boxes and said it's com it's compliant with oran specifications but in terms of the market structure it's not really that different from how it was it's just yeah. we don't have huawei there anymore and then and then it, and then you get back to why did they really need open ram to do that yeah. you know samsung could have ntt docomo has been doing this stuff since the 90s it sounds like where they've not the 90s but the you know the earlier 2000s where they've been making things work together just because you have oran alliance specifications doesn't take away the the integration hassle you know you still have to you still have to integrate well, those that, networks that's where you know? that's where it comes back to the the sort of nagging suspicion i've always had once once you got a sense that the american state had taken an interest in this as, as some kind of strategic positive um then it what it feels like it feels 
feels like it's the the US trying to to some extent manipulate the market. So what you've just described is the market could easily have um, generated more competition to Ericsson and Huawei. In fact, it's in the process of doing so through Samsung and so on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I just think, you know, and I think this is probably in keeping, this is a bit of a tangent, in keeping with American attitudes on the whole at the moment when it comes to certainly to sort of strategic technology, is they, I think they, th- they think they can control more than they can. Mm. This could be just a general conceit that comes with being the richest, most powerful country in the world. And God knows we've had almost uh, a century, certainly half a century, of America wanting to control parts of the world. I'm thinking more sort of militarily and and through trade and that sort of thing. You yeah. know, you look at you look at proxy wars. You could argue that Ukraine's a proxy war at the moment, although Russians did start it. To be fair. Um, and and this just feels like another example of them going, right, we don't like the way the world is, so we're going to fuck with it and try and make it more like we want. And the problem with all this sort of top-down um, interference is, I mean, there's several things. Firstly, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be the role of the state to correct markets, really. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's a role for regulators and, you know, you get... You get certain things where the, if the state really screws up, like we had with Liz Truss recently, then some kind of severe interventions call for. But on the whole, the state should just let markets get on with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Americans, they didn't start Open RAN. I just think they, they sort of appropriated jumped on it, it. Yeah, and, yeah. and got it. I mean, Open RAN, I remember when it came along in, as I say, early 2018, I remember being at Mobile World Congress that year and chatting to Gabe from Heavy yeah. Reading about it. And it was this small little thing, really. Like, yeah. we need to get... I mean, he did say at the time, one of the reasons we got it, and this was before, by the way, um, a lot of the, I mean, I think ZTE was already sort of under fire at that stage, but it was before all the stuff about Huawei had started to happen. Before it really kicked off. So, um, yeah. And before anybody had started to talk about using this technology to get other, you know, other supplies into the market. But Gabe did say to me, it's quite pressing of him, he said, I think one of the reasons they're doing this is because the market's consolidated a lot over the years and they don't like that. And yeah. this is a, a way to have sort of more companies. Yeah, I agree with you so on he, that. He, he, he yeah. Now, but it wasn't, and I, I get, and, yeah, and it, what it was as well, interestingly, is, <coughs> which is quite ironic, really, was a coming together of two other organisations, one called the XRAM Forum, which was kind of US-based, but Deutsche Telekom was involved and some European companies and on the other side, the CRAN Alliance, which is China Mobile-led and is very much a Chinese group, which is one of the reasons why when you look at the ORAN Alliance now, the biggest country represented after the US is China. There's mm. dozens of Chinese members and all the big three Chinese operators are in there. You know, when people try and pick holes in open RAN and say, you know, is it really sort of a, a safe, you know, safe alternative to Huawei? You've got all these Chinese companies working on the on the specs for it. I know that's one of the criticisms that, that gets made, but... But at the time, before we started to worry about things like that, it seemed like quite an interesting um, use case, if you like, in certain scenarios. You know, you might want to have situations where you can use a, a unique radio unit ma- manufacturer that's, that fits some need in this particular community or this factory setting. And actually, we don't want to use its baseband equipment. We want to use this, but we can put the two together because of open round. Great. It's not going to take over the world. It's not going to become a big macro thing, but it's quite a nice little thing to be able to have and support. And maybe we don't go as far as NTT Docomo. Yep. 
it's morphed from that into this big yeah, which, which there I think the Americans have come in and gone oh open that's kind of what I was getting at this yeah. is where we can get a, a player into the market that's that, that's a US player which totally misunderstands what open ran is but, well, exactly. but at the same time the companies that have done really well out of it do are big other big manufacturers it's just they're not american ones they're asian ones the asian the big asian players are the yeah. ones that have made but i don't think they needed open round to do that yeah, i really I don't i just don't I agree see and, that and, and so so it comes back to this you know you, you mentioned that that you were first talking about it in 2018 and that that's pre um the sort of trump assault on huawei yeah i think so and and Might that probably marks then the high watermark of Huawei outcompeting everyone else because I, I seem to remember us coming back from World Congress and chatting to chatting to people so operators sort of off the record and them going look Huawei shit's just better yeah and their post sales service is better and, and they, they just deliver better stuff yeah. at a better price yeah you know which which was which made kind of um which was kind of bleak for, for Nokia and Ericsson at the time. And I think this was at a time when certainly Ericsson was probably a, a bit of a nadir as well. They were That's probably the start of the Boyac home period round about then, was it? Yeah, he came in early 2017, but there his first go. year was one of difficulty. Yeah, well, there we go. Skeptical about whether he'd be able to get it together. So that, that just makes you wonder to what extent um, Huawei was just hobbled. You know, we see what Americans are doing now. We've spoken about it on a recent pod. Where they're doing, where, where they're sort of banning the export of like applied materials kit and, and that yeah. sort of thing, anything to do with chip manufacture. In, now to look back on it, it never occurred to me at the time to look back on it. You know, perhaps America was never that sincere about the Huawei kit as a security threat, and and it, again, it just wants to dick about. It, it's it's fighting this almost literal trade war with China. And it's just constantly trying to find ways of hobbling China technologically. And, and maybe yeah. the attack on Huawei was just the first phase of that. And this and this sort of chip kit thing is just another phase of the same overall sort of war. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and the, the open RAN stuff's weird in that in that respect because there seems to, as you say, this appropriation of it by the Americans and this desire to have a, a kit vendor on a sort of Ericsson and Nokia scale. You know, I... I don't. I don't get why the Americans feel they, uh, you know, that they're not at the table in a way with, with mobile technology and, and. I mean, they don't. Yes, they don't have an Ericsson or a Nokia. But let's not let's not forget Nokia is kind of part American company. Um, a big part of, of Nokia is Lucent. You know, Bell Labs is right, based okay. in. Yeah, of course. It's based in America. You know, they have thousands of staff there. Actually, so does Ericsson. The chip technologies that, that those companies use, as we've just said, are. American, all the big chip makers in the world, the chips that power these networks as well as devices are American chips. You know, it's um, it's yeah. very it's very kind of tunnel vision like to sort of look at this and go, oh, we don't have a big player at the table. They've got loads of players at the table actually. It's just they're in they're in the nitty gritty. They're in the kind of weeds, but they're very important weeds. Yeah. You know, they're not. You know, what Marvel, what Intel do is is hugely important. Well, it's, to how it's these, because America has all these companies that it's able to fight this quite yeah. effective technological trade war against China and because then, it can withhold all yeah, those companies. And then remember the other ones it's got, of course, are the public clouds, which we, I know which we're going to talk about later. To, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but they're, they're increasingly involved in the telecom sector, um, you know, not just in terms of the public cloud hosting IT workloads and all this sort of stuff that they're doing for other companies in the world, but 
you know, we talked to Microsoft a few weeks ago at that show about their aspirations. They bought a couple of vendors. They bought Microsoft Microsoft assets. You know, they're clearly in a position to actually compete against mm. some of these players like Ericsson and Nokia, and they've got the resources to do it. So, yeah, this this view that America isn't at the table in in yeah. mobile, and then and then of course on the devices side, they have this little company called Apple that does quite well. <laughs> you know. Um, those companies, and by the way, and it's very popular in China. And and in terms of who owns the patents, you know, who who's who's directing five G technology? Who you know? I mean, I don't know. You'd have to have a look at the. There's all sorts of different ways of of. Oh, that's assessing that's that, a rabbit hole. It? it is a real rabbit hole. Thing, yeah. But uh, I mean, there are American companies there that have ownership of patents that are to do with, you know, connectivity technologies. So. Yeah, it, it it always seemed a bit odd to me that there was this sort of desire to. Yeah, well, it just seems to be this broader sense. You know, I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but at some stage, it certainly came to prominence during Trump. Yeah. At some stage, America decided, okay, we've been we've been sleeping on the China situation. Well, I think they also felt they'd been sleeping on 5G, and, and I'm not sure why they... I think they misunderstood 5G. I think they thought 5G was somehow more important than, you know, than it's turning out to be. And It's a pretty small market, you know, let's be honest. What's the radio access network market worth each year? About would, 35 to 40 billion in, right. in revenues. That's that's the size of the market, right. according to Omdia and Delaro. That's Del like one quarter from a hyperscaler, isn't it? So, but this is the thing. It's not a, it's not a massive... Yeah. You know, I mean, semiconductor revenues worldwide each year, I think, are about 600 billion. And a lot of that's American firms, clearly. That's a market yeah. they really kind of dominate. 5G ran, it, ran infrastructure is 35 to 40 billion. I mean, was there any reason that, that they felt that... I, I, I sense they feel that 5G is strategically important and from a security perspective, very important. And I'm not really sure that if you've got the chip technology and the expertise there, if you've got the software companies, you know, this, I don't, I don't get why they have this desire to yeah. have, have an Ericsson equivalent, really. Um, no, well, that's what I'm, but what I'm just sort of hypothesizing on the fly is that actually that in itself is a bit of a, a red herring. And what basically America wants to do is find a way of slowing <coughs> China's technological technological development yeah um and so obviously you know hobbling major tech companies like huawei is one way of doing it starving their whole market of chip technology is another way of doing it there are other embargoes and other bits of dicking about they're doing it feels futile to me i mean you know it's like trying to stop you know a stream with your hand I mean, China apparently, I read some stat, I mean, it's obviously a very populous country, but I read some stat that they've just got a ridiculous number of, like, post-grad STEM students in China. Yeah. You know, I think partly, uh, culturally, um, in, in that part of the world, further education is put at an even more of a premium than it is here. Yeah. Or in the West. Totally. Um, and they just got a fuck of a lot of very highly educated sort of boffins. Yeah. And it just strikes me that America, collectively, um, I certainly don't think it takes its lead from Trump, but funnily enough, Trump seems to have, have actually represented the fears of, of the American establishment, of which he's certainly not part. Um, they just suddenly thought, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, we turn our back for one second, and suddenly China's 
threatening to kick our ass technologically. Let's try and do something about it now. But I, it feels futile. I totally agree with that analogy, like holding a stream back with your hand. Yeah. Because, and, 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 you know, the one interview I ever did with Boy Echo when I talked about this, he, he, he kind of said the same thing, which was, you know, it's a country of 1.4 billion people. And, you know, like you said, they invest, they have good uh, engineering facilities good now, good schools. Yeah. You know, at some point they'll produce, someone else said it to me, it wasn't even him who said it, someone else, it doesn't matter if everybody you, re- you recruit on the sort of R&D side isn't an Einstein because one of them will be at some point. Right. Yeah, this, this, uh, there seems to be this um, perception among some of the analysts I've talked to actually and people who, who cover semiconductors that China's so far behind that it'll never catch up. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's years and years behind and it'll never get there. Mm. It's always been behind in semiconductors and the investments that it needs to make and the situation it's in. I think that's very arrogant, really. Wow. A I country mean, of 1.4 billion people with, you know, and, and the, the, get, let, let's not forget, they don't have to worry about the democratic niceties like we do. No. You, 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 you go and invest in that. Now, all right, that can have a, a detrimental impact as well because it's not an, an environment necessarily in which innovation and original thinking flourishes. But I still feel that this this sense that they're never going to get there on semiconductors is 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 really arrogant. You well, know? I mean, uh, look, the, so the world leader on on chip manufacturers, TSMC, yeah, the T bit standing for Taiwan. Taiwan's only existed as a country for about seventy years. Yeah, so they they had to start. Yeah, you know, they had to start from somewhere. So obviously, you can start from wherever and become preeminent. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and I I think your point about the China being more of a, a, a non-democratic command economy, um, while it has negative implications um, culturally and in terms of human rights and freedoms, it does allow them if if they decide that their strategic aim is to do this, they uh, can they do so. Done. Yeah, they can do so very effectively. Yeah. So so maybe America's right to be shitting itself. I just I just don't know. If its current strategy, I mean, I don't approve of it in general just because, you know, as we know, I'm a small state kind of guy and I'd just rather the state just fucked off and stop dicking about with things. Yeah. But I also just wonder <coughs> whether it's futile. Well, it's, it's self-defeating as well because they've... Yeah, well, you've written those they, things about... They've not about only flooded their own the company. market with, with money, with this CHIPS Act, which is how many billions are they providing in CHIP subsidies through the CHIPS Act? So they've, they've created this huge, you know... Um, supply uh, glut, basically, because all this money is now being pumped into new semiconductor facilities that people like Intel are building. And yet they've massively clamped down on demand by shutting off the entire Chinese market, which is buying a a lot of stuff. Obviously, that's where people, certainly on the manufacturing side, that's where apply materials. And I mean, you've seen that table that I did. Yeah, yeah. It shows how many sales we chatted about Qualcomm and Intel ago, and people like that had yeah. to China last year. I mean, it's huge. It's yeah. it's what quarter of their revenues, I think, in some cases. I it's, know. You know. I know. I know. I wish you know we're we're at a time again. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll move on to the quarterlies in a sec because uh, uh, we've been talking on this for quite a while. Um, you know, we're coming up to a time where people are expecting. We've, 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 we've segued off fuse quite a bit, but we have um... a bit. Well, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a chance yeah. actually before I do move on to to see if there's anything else you want to reflect there. But you know, we're expecting this winter and certainly first half of next year to be pretty tough economically. And one of the reasons it's like that is because we're, we're throwing extra spanners into the works by by creating all this redundancy you were talking about by by trying to alienate. Or, or ring fence certain parts of the world, and again, you know, I just think, I don't know. I mean, maybe something does need to be done. Maybe if America didn't get involved, and and then suddenly China 
had better military technology as as well as it, all its other advantages in terms of population and and command economy maybe suddenly they would be taking over the world and we'd have this dystopian yeah terrible thing but i don't know I, it it just feels like it feels like we're acting very preemptively and not necessarily in a very effective way but anyway <laughs> let, let's um let's go back to fuse before we move on from it so that's all the open round stuff that we took yeah. us on that tangent any other things, and, and don't bother about Metaverse, because we'll cover that in the quarterly bit when we talk about Meta itself. Yeah. What about that day two? Was there, was there anything worth... Yeah, I mean, I didn't go into as many sessions on day two. I was trying to get some stuff written up, and I had a couple of interviews, actually, with stuff I've just talked about with some chip companies. I've actually got a big piece in the works, but it hasn't been written yet. Okay, try cool. And, I need to space? try and make some, some sense in my own head about it, and talking to a couple of people off okay. the record later this week who are quite big names, so... Is there, can you give us a, a taster of what the broad theme of this chippy piece is? Well, it's the stuff you were talking about, about um, people being able to catch up with Ericsson and Nokia and what it would mean for them okay. if, that, if that happened is, okay. is, is kind of one of the, is kind oh. of the main theme, really. Um, but um, one, one interesting thing that did come up that wasn't to do with the whole mobile side of it was Open Fan. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I remember, yeah, reading about that. Yeah. So... Um, RAN is Radio Access Network. FAN is... Fixed Access Network. There we go. Yeah. So now we're opening up the fixed bit. <coughs> now we're opening up the FAN, yeah. Yeah. Um, very appropriate in Spain as well, because there's a lot of that going on, people opening up FANs. Yeah, with the f- um, sort of flamenco yeah. and all that sort of thing. But, they, but basically it's um, having... I like um, a FAN. We'll have open castanets next. <laughs> 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 so you've got your... Um, so yeah, the broadband network, the fixed, fixed broadband network kind of similar push i guess for um companies to be able to use different supplies and does it need opening up do we have the same issues i don't think that it's i wrote a story on it and i don't often pay attention to web stats and traffic but it didn't do it didn't get a huge amount of hits right and i i wonder if it's a really big issue whether people nobody was talking about it by the way i mean i I wrote this article but i'm the only journalist who wrote about open fan i don't remember it came out in a press release and i i'd already talked to and it was actually me kind of putting a couple of things together that i'd done in the lead up to it because i talked to um, nokia about it a few days before in amsterdam about not not calling it open fan but the ability to use one supplier for your olt which Mm -hmm. is your optical so you've got in your broadband network, you've got two basic sort of boxes at either end of the line to yep. really simplify it. It's more complicated than this, but this is my no, you, this is my layman. I'm grateful for you simplifying it. So you've got your OLT, uh, your optical line terminal, which is at one end, and then at the sort of customer side, there's the optical network terminal. And generally speaking, a lot of the time, they come from the same, um, you know, the same vendor, the same way that you buy all your RAN equipment from the same vendor. And um, I was asking Nokia about you know does it sometimes sell that for them olts is a much bigger market it's a more important thing for them to okay. sort of be in that there's more money that they were saying it's less good so there's obviously some there's obviously some competition there anyway in, in terms of being able to do things with different suppliers and they were saying it's quite difficult to it's not it's not that straightforward to get your olts working with another company's ont's there there, there are standards that have been developed okay. but people tend to have gone down different you know there's lots of options included if people implement different options then it becomes harder to marry the two things it's very very similar to the stuff that you've heard about with open ran but i i it's a much smaller market this is the thing if you look at the size of the fixed access network market i think it's about eight billion a year annually according to omdia at the moment you know it's 
tiny compared yeah. with the with the RAN market. Um, but it is it is again a bit like the RAN market. It's very kind of consolidated. It's very much in the hands of a few big players. You know, Huawei's the biggest. You know, they're not popular in the West in the same way they're not popular in the RAN. We've got the UK saying that you can't use their stuff for FTTP as much anymore. You need to start thinking about taking that out. I think they've already introduced some restrictions. They've not been quite as stringent. But one of the reasons they haven't been as stringent is because there's not that many alternatives. Right. The other, the big non, non-Chinese ones, uh, Nokia. Yep. And then the other big ones, ZTE, Chinese. Fiber Homes, big Chinese. You, you start to look about at the, peop- the other people we talk about in that market, like Adtran and Kalix. And they're really small market share wise, you know, you think right. it's sort of 5% or less market share. So I think there is a desire to have more options there. And, and that's maybe where Open Fan could, sounds like could it. come in. But whether whether it's, I don't see it necessarily being as big a deal as Open Fan. But it Fan sounds like quite early days. It's early days. And I think the market's just not as not um, bothered. <laughs> not as bothered, basically, because they don't spend yeah. as much on it. Most of the money, by the way, obviously, when companies are building fiber networks the thing we have to point out is most of the money doesn't go into those boxes it goes into digging up streets you know that's where that's why fiber rollout so expensive it's not because people are spending a lot of money on the boxes at either end the olts and the ont's it's because they have to spend a lot of money on civil engineering yeah yeah so okay um, that was yeah. that was another kind of no, intriguing I mean, it's, little it's, thing I thought. No, it's, it's noteworthy, it. and yeah. and it's a watch this space. Yeah, but it looks like right now it's a bit meh. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah, I like someone to go that guy. Um, so quarterlies. I mean, the, there's basically two subsets of this. So I'll do. I'll do the the meta one first because the second one might lead on to another take us down so the sort of any public other beers cloud. Up there, by the way. Yeah, well, there's one more cold one if you want it. Why not? Well, um, uh, what was I going to say? Will you stop dicking about with the chair? Um, so yes. So let me let me find the the story on that. So it the overall the quarterly season in in the in the ones that i've been covering which have been sort of big tech i know you know i know there's always you know the the there's vendors and fiddling with my chair <laughs> try that oh, look at you has he fixed it so so just to recap pierre actually tried to adjust a setting rather than just rock back <laughs> and forwards like some old git <laughs> I also connected into the internet today. Oh, yeah. I should be your assistant. I tell you what, I mean, Ian, Ian you're not even 50 yet, are you? You're going to make a great old git. Um, I know that already. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I can, I can see it. Um, uh, yes. So, all, every, everyone's quarterlies sort of took a little bit of a hit. They, they're all, they all came in. So, the, the ones that I wrote about last week were Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Meta otherwise known as Facebook. Um, and they all took double-digit hits to their share price. And that's over and above a general decline over the course of this year. I mean, this year's just generally been shite for shares the whole year, hasn't it, Pierre? Um, and, you know, generally, we must remind ourselves that share price, when when amounts of money get wiped, which is, of course, the official term of share prices, what that, all that really is an adjustment of, of investor expectations. Um, and for some reason, investors were slightly more optimistic than they should have been. And the main thing that pushed most of these share prices down wasn't the the current quarter, but their outlook. Yeah, w- w- turned more pessimistic. 
And Meta's took an especially big hit. It, they were down just after its quarterlies, they were down 22%. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise it, it felt that much. Yeah, yeah. And that is, um, and I think it's down something like, did I put it in the, yeah. Um, Meta's share price is down 60% since the start of the year. That's Wasn't it, wait, am I, am I looking at the right thing? This I is when I wrote the story, which was... Um, I see 330, <coughs> now it's 95. Right. I don't, I don't, yeah, well, I don't know when its absolute peak was. But it, it fell off a cliff initially at the start of the year, and that was when Zuckerberg first came out and said, we're going all in on the metaverse. I can't remember when the rebrand happened, but as maybe when he fleshed <laughs> out just the degree of commitment he was going to make to it. And then he sort of reiterated that again, and investors seem to be increasingly thinking. Um, yeah, that's correct. Sorry, it was three hundred and thirty something, January first. Now it's ninety four. <laughs> right. Yeah. God. Blimey. So that's yeah, is that is is that sixty percent? I don't. Know. Anyway, it's in that area. Um, and uh, what was it? Um, Zuckerberg spoke on an analyst call, and I quoted him saying, um, "I think this is from an FT report." I appreciate the patience. I think those who are patient and invest with us will end up being rewarded. And everyone went, everyone went up yours, and, and their share price went down the toilet. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, the same FT report uh, quoted a Jeffries analyst called Brent Thill. Um, <coughs> he, sa he said, summing up how investors are feeling right now is that there's just too many experimental bets versus proven bets on the core. Now, I said in my sort of conclusion, you know, if how many proven bets are there? You know, it's, it's almost like he's saying surefire bets, but in, in his in his oh, way, it's not a bet then, is it, Brett? Well, quite. But in his way, he's basically saying they're taking too much of a punt. I think they've just committed to just throwing money at this metaverse thing, and basically gone, look, it's not going to pay off for ages. Yeah, but mm -hmm. we're going to keep throwing money at it. Fucking deal with it. And Zuckerberg can because I think he owns the majority of all the voting shares, so yeah, no does, one can really yeah. tell him what to do. Because when they went public, he had some weird share structure where all, yeah. all the shares were non-voting shares or something like that. He's a bit of a megalomaniac. Yeah, well, I mean, but then more full investors. And, and for a while, when they went along with the ride, they got rewarded. Yeah. And anyone who sold out of Facebook last year is feeling quite smug or yeah. meta. Mm. Um, but, yeah. It's funny because... Go on. I, I, I do believe the metaverse is going to be something someday, but I don't think Facebook is going to be the one leading it. No. No, I think it's going to be whoever makes the best device. But isn't Oculus one of the, the best devices? Right now, yeah, but yeah. Apple hasn't entered yet. Google. I don't think it's going to be what, Met, what Facebook or Meta, whatever it wants to call itself, mm. imagines it to be. I mean, I've been noticing they're spending a lot of money on promotion of this, by the way, advertising. I think even at Waterloo Station, those billboards above the... The platform, right. uh, but the new headsets. Yeah. No, not even that. It's like in the future. <coughs> maybe I didn't see it then. I've imagined where I saw it, but I've definitely seen a billboard saying in the future surgeons will learn how to do operations in the metaverse before they're allowed to do actual operations. Mm. Now that to me is utter bullshit. That's that's that's. The day that you can do that's that's worse than the remote control surgery application. You're going to unleash a surgeon it's, on somebody no. who's done. How can you? I mean, for it to be that precise, I think they'll practice at the that metaverse level before practicing in the real world. Yeah, and, and, then, then, and then what's yeah. the point? Because then it's just like a game. Yeah, it's mm. like um, yeah, it's sort of one more step. Yeah. It's sort of what what you're describing there. Sort of comes into something that's that's a bit of an emerging technology in in the telecoms world, which is what they call digital twins. Um, where they just create 
uh, a, a digital like a version. Yeah. 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 Um, you uh, know, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah. I just saw that they had a, you know, when they released the new VR headset, they had a sort of keynote thing, you know, kind of Apple style. Which apparently was incredibly awkward. Like they, there was some yeah. awkward walk and talk from Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, but it is a bit like that video I did the other day. Yeah, <laughs> but then he um, there was some, there was a feature that actually surprised me. Like you know the the sort of like VR conferencing thing, where they, the the headset films your face and scans it, and then you're talking to somebody that looks pretty much like you. It's kind of like an uncanny yeah. valley thing where it looks like your face, but maybe like. Um, uh, what's the one where they like face? Uh, you know the when they change the faces. Um, ah, what's it called? Like in movies uh, when they de-age somebody, you know. Oh, what you mean like deep fake? Deep fake. It looks a bit like a deep fake right. version of you. And I thought, wow, it's actually better. Yeah, well, than I think I you're right to say it's going to be a thing. Mm. And 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 it's easy to imagine. You know, we've said in previous pods that when the metaverse becomes usable, it has to be. Um, augmented reality and, and digital overlays on reality rather than virtual reality, which has very limited use cases because you, otherwise you'll bump into shit and get run over. Or yeah, but that's the problem, what you've just said. Mm. The use case that you've talked about, augmented reality laid over the top of things, that's not the metaverse, right? That's no, something that's a good else. point. What it gets conflated with the, it. Is the, it. Basically, what the metaverse is, is virtual reality. You know, mm. it, they, can call it, they can call it the metaverse and From give it that if they want, but it's virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any useful application for virtual reality other than gaming. Mm. And they they envisage it as this kind of world-changing thing that will be used for all sorts of, you know, professional p- purposes and social interactions. I don't see how it has any bearing at all on anything apart from in a gaming context. Yeah. Yeah, as uh, we chatted about before, you so know, e-commerce start, or whatever, do we really need to go to a yeah, virtual shopping you, you mall you or something? You were talking about in Amsterdam. Or yeah. people exp- I mean, you know, all right. Granted, you know maybe there's a stepping stone, and you can, ha- and it becomes really sophisticated enough to have a surgeon doing something, and then the next day, look, we've got we've got to the point we have today where surgeons do operations, and not a lot goes wrong generally. By the time those guys are unleashed on real patients, what what's the metaverse really going to add? Are you going to get somebody training to play tennis in the metaverse? Mm. Why can't you just put a racket in their hand and put them on the bloody court? You know, is that going to mm. be? A, it's it's this, the whole problem with the way they're doing it is they're pitching it as the next internet. The internet didn't evolved the, the internet wasn't conceived it wasn't designed it evolved it, yeah. it grew out of something was it arpanet originally you know what facebook's trying to do is engineer something no, i completely agree you know, they're trying to they're trying agree. to force this on the world this is our thing and it, you, we yeah, want it to be, it would be like 20 like 30 years ago you know and, microsoft and saying microsoft saying we've invented this thing called the internet and we're betting it. on it yeah um, it, it, it has, it's too big it has to evolve and all these telcos are pandering to them all these idiots are pandering to them well quite you know, I, I see it more as a theme ride, theme park ride type of thing, you know? Yep. Like, oh, again. you want to fly over Egypt? You yeah. know, something like that. But again, as, as, as Ian says, that, that's still quite a niche application. What it doesn't is become Internet 2.0 or whatever. No. And, and the other thing is, I hate the way people say the metaverse. I mean, <coughs> if it's the metaverse and it's Facebook, then I don't want to be anywhere near it, frankly. You know, that's that really is as, as sinister as the book that it was written about in, first of all, where it was all controlled by this you know, nasty billionaire. Yeah. Um, Snow Crash is the novel. Neil Stevenson invented the, the, the word. But it won't be one metaverse. It'll be a bunch of virtual reality games and headsets developed by lots of companies, of which Facebook has one of them. If it's something mm, yeah. that Facebook designs and it's it's metaverse, 
It's who's like, going to go? To, who's going to go near something like that? That's that's monopoly through and through, then, isn't it? It's like you have the App Store and you have the Google Store, whatever yeah. they call. Yeah. Who, who would want an internet controlled by Microsoft or or Facebook? Mm. You know, totally. it's I bad mean, enough I, as it is at the moment. I'll slightly I'll slightly disagree with you on on your definition of the metaverse. I think there are probably two forms. I think the if we call, if we if we call version one the virtual reality one, I think version two is the augmented reality one where. The metaverse exists in so much as someone's gone to all the trouble, a bit like Google did with Street View, where it sent around all those cars. Um, someone's gone to all the trouble of overlaying digital information on fucking everything. So that if I was wearing these future augmented reality glasses now, you know, I'd be able to, I don't know, maybe see through this wall, but not X-ray specs. I'd see through the wall because because there'd be some technology that, that would be behind yeah it. yeah that would be telling me what's there or something like that. So I think that's that's the ultimate, that's the the proper version that might be real. And then you know it really is really is science fiction stuff. But you can see the utility. Actually, it's funny you mentioned the well, wall thing. Um, I was at an aviation well, you can look show. At women changing in their bedrooms. <laughs> I was at a, an aviation show in I July, and the the most advanced fighter jet in the world which is the F-35. They have cameras at the bottom of the plane and the helmets that the pilots wear, which is worth 400 grand, when they look down, they can see through the plane. They, right. they could see, see underneath the them. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you another thing. I've just started watching a thing on Amazon called um, The Peripheral. Yeah, same. It's really yeah, good. It's cool, isn't it? It's very good. Yeah. And, and while, while that's not necessarily a metaverse thing, because in, in this... Oh, um, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, without giving too many spoilers away, but basically um, a peripheral is, is like a, a robot-human facsimile of yourself, and you can somehow beam your consciousness yeah. into this robot. And, and But these robots also have these sort of augmented capabilities, like you can do certain gestures with your fingers and, and that yeah. allows you to do stuff. Well, if I just, if you... Oh, God, it's Chloe Moritz. I can't stand her. Oh, she's uh, great. She's not bad in it, really to be good. fair. Yeah. Um, what was <laughs> I going to say? Um, it's excellent. It's I was a, just trying to imagine... Watch it. It's one of the best things I've seen on Amazon, actually, for a long time. It is good. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to imagine, like, a really mundane metaverse sort of commercial thing. So here here I've got a, I've got a brew dog hazy jane in front of me as we so often do on this pod and let's say i was like god i really like them and i'm running a little bit low perhaps in a sort of future ar metaverse i have a little look at it and i can just gesture on this tin and automatically buy six more from sainsbury's or something like that yeah so, so it's <clears throat> i guess i guess you have to use your imagination I, to imagine i think some of those things aren't them i mean when i said the metaverse in in the peripheral i meant more not the not the kind of her going and controlling robots in the future right. more that more the sort of the early the, con bit. the early bit the context yeah. of it is a world where virtual reality gaming's taken off and it's it's something people do and she's yeah. somebody tests and then she goes into this this weird situation where it's something that's not the metaverse but yeah. i mean a lot technical innovations like that that you've just talked about or see-through goggles and all this weird and wacky stuff that we might get in the future i mean i'm sure some of those things will be will have uses and be you know really really sort of valid in some context but i'm not sure that's what facebook's pitching at the moment well it's a long way away so if I, I it is that's... and so going back to the quarterlies and then i'll move on to other ones because we yeah, we've really got about sort of 15 minutes or so left i think um facebook's going look be patient okay we're going to continue blowing tons of cash on something that's completely unproven but one day it will be great the problem is that this future augmented reality world where i just where i just gesture at a tin of hazy jane and suddenly and, and say an, an order's put into saying <laughs> 
Yes. Um, is, you know, it feels like more than a decade away. Yeah. And, you know, investors... By you which time Facebook will be long gone. Well, yeah, and you can't go to investors just hang around for a decade. That's not how it fucking works. Facebook will be the first of the big tech companies to collapse. That's my prediction. Well, they're, uh, they're obviously twenty-two. Dun, dun, dun. November. They're obviously struggling. So, let, yeah. well, let's move. Let's move on then from there on to a couple of the other quarterlies. So, the broader theme there was um, hyperscalers. So, I think the real hyperscalers um, are the public cloud giants. So, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. And they're obviously hyperscalers in other ways because they do all kinds of shit. Um, and they both had, for investors, disappointing quarterlies. They still brought in tons of cash. But they all have had like 10% um, share price falls. And that led to some um, speculation that the public cloud market, which has been booming, it's been growing something like 20, 30% year on year, yeah. which when you consider the size of the public cloud market already, that kind of growth for such a large market, you know, normally your growth will be like a sort of petering off curve, won't it? The yeah. larger the market gets. So <clears throat> for it still to be growing so precipitously. Well, it has slowed down in the last quarter. But not much. Percentage-wise, it's slowed down quite a lot. Well, not but according to some of the data that I've been looking at. I think I was, I've been going on uh, Synergy. Synergy is uh, what I coming, looked at. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, John uh, Dinsdale at Synergy yeah. did a long research note on it, that the, yeah, yeah. the reasons for it slowing down. A lot of but it's currency-related. It is. Thing to know. It is. And then I put up and one today. China's which was really slowed down because of lockdowns. And you know. I put up a follow-up written by this same chap uh, at Synergy where he just focused on the US market. Yeah. And one of the reasons he focused on the US market is that that takes out some of the currency yeah. stuff and all that sort of thing. Anyway, his, his insistence was that actually things are ticking along at more or less recent trend rates. It's yeah. not slowed. Yeah, it has slowed down. <coughs> it has slowed down a bit. But then if you look at like a three-year trend, it's been bumping along around about the yeah. same level. Anyway. Well, I think it's not just the slowdown. It's what's happened to margins. So Amazon was reporting, AWS was reporting profit margin yeah. of 30%. They're on 26% for the last quarter. So that's, that's a full percentage point dip. That's quite a lot. You know? Yeah. No, I think, um, I think you make a really good point. So, so revenue-wise, actually, you know, the initial worry by those slightly disappointing quarterlies by the hyperscalers that the cloud market was in some kind of major decline seems to have been misplaced, certainly when it comes to revenue. I think revenue is actually doing better, certainly according to this chap that we both cite. It's, it's doing all right. But yeah, margins, that was a concern. And so it's basically the cost of sales. I mean, part of this is, again, currency and part of it is is inflation affecting the supply yeah. chain and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, everybody's margins are under pressure, yeah, so yeah. it's partly to do with that. Um, um, but yeah, that was that was all I, I really, really wanted to say about, about those other quarterlies, is that the... And it's just a reminder, you know, we were talking earlier about the size of, like, the RAN market. Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got companies like... like um, I, mean, I think the most profitable of them might even be Microsoft. Um, but, you know, even something like... Even something like um, Facebook... So their revenues were down to only twenty seven point seven billion in yeah. Q three. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's Facebook that seems to be having a nightmare. They still brought in twenty seven point seven billion. Well, that's just, that's just an indication of how big they are, isn't yeah. it? I mean, they, they, they could have been. Yeah, it's obviously fallen quite a bit. But I mean, the the, the slowdown in public cloud, you know, which you know, as you say, it's not it's not really slowing down. But I do wonder if we're due a slowdown in public cloud. Well, you uh, think it because, can't keep growing at that rate. Yeah, but not just because of that. I, I sense, you know, some kind of backlash happening now. Yeah. And, and so the piece I wrote was did bring in the, the numbers, but um, was partly about 
companies moving off the public cloud now, um, which James Crawshaw or Omdia has been sort of tracking and alerting me to whenever one of this one of one of these things happens, and sent over a really really interesting, well written blog by this Danish guy who works for a company called Basecamp, which is quite a big, big-ish, mid-sized, let's say, software developer. Um, <clears throat> that used the public cloud originally, like a lot of startups do. You know, we had James on talking about that, the interest in using it, and wrote this long blog saying how the economics of the public cloud, once you get beyond the startup phase, just don't add up at all. It just doesn't make any sense to be using the public cloud anymore at all. And therefore, their, their whole sort of strategy I mean, for, now is, for big companies, for blue chips, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense once you get established to yeah. use the public cloud. So once you go beyond the startup phase, once mm. you become mid-sized, once you have more predictable workload yeah. streams... Then you're still better off having your own shit. You're better off having your own shit, yeah. I mean, some so, kind of hybrid model probably works because there are certain things that someone like AWS can do for you that it's quite difficult to well, do Well, they're, they're talking about the economics of it. Just purely the economics. Purely the economics. Okay, now, yeah. that, so what you just said is an interesting point, because when I talked to Deutsche Telekom about this, which is much, much bigger than Basecamp, you know, and we keep talking about the operators and their interest in the public cloud and how much they're using. First of all, Deutsche Telekom doesn't have any network functions at all in the public cloud. But when it comes to IT workloads, yeah, it does. But even they were saying um, that they sort of recognise the economics just aren't aren't really there. You know, once you get to a certain point, um, it's much more sensible to actually have your own IT, you know, whether it's on-premises or private clouds, it's, you know, it's more economical to do things that way potentially than it is to be renting, um, mm. you know, servers from Amazon where their prices are huge, by the way. I mean, this is one of the problems for Amazon with that, 30% operating profit margin, you know, at a time when they're making huge investments in capacity and data expansion, they're still reporting profit margins of 30% of their business. Uh, it's something that this guy in his, in his blog from Basecamp drew attention to. But the, the reason Deutsche Telekom's using it is because they can tap into things like its expertise in data analytics and AI and, and machine learning and, and things like that. It's not the economics. Um, yeah. Dropbox is another one, by the way, that moved that's moved away from the public cloud because, again, once they got to the stage of having an established business, they just didn't see that the economics of not owning your own IT estate and and you know using using AWS or Google Cloud or whoever it might have been instead kind of makes sense anymore. So and it's interesting you talk about the margin of the cloud. I mean, Amazon's perhaps the best illustration. Well, Google's of that. unprofitable, but they're trying to they're coming yeah. from a very small position and trying to grow quickly. Yeah. Um, and they and they do seem to be and, and Microsoft's hard to figure out because they don't break out Azure specifically, right? So they have a, a group called Intelligent Cloud that bundles in a lot of other stuff, but their margins yeah. on that are even higher. They're at about forty four percent, I think. Right. Well, I was looking. I, I don't um, have the margin figure for AWS, but I was just contrasting it with the rest of what Amazon does. So most of most of Amazon's revenue is its <coughs> e commerce. Yeah. But of course, you're 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 mainly buying stuff that's made by other people, and then Amazon just gets its cut as as the retailer and the and the distributor and the deliverer. But um, but basically, they made what was it? Their net income income for the for the quarter was something like uh, two and a bit billion, but their net income just for AWS was something like five and a bit billion. In other words, the other bit made a loss of two or three billion. And, and so not only does AWS provide all its profit, it's the only thing that makes the whole company profitable. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's just remarkable. And, you know, you look at, at certain numbers like, you know, they're North America. It's, it's amazing, actually, how much of Amazon is just North America, the the, e-tail, the e-commerce yeah, yeah. side. Yeah. So, you know, in North America, you've got something like you've got net sales of nearly 79 billion, but still an operating loss. So in other words, the cost of those sales is still greater than the sales. That's 79 billion. And then AWS globally, you got net sales um, of 20 billion, but expenses only 15. So the margin there is like 25%. Um, it's just remarkable uh, with, with Amazon to contrast the e-commerce side with the AWS. Totally, side. Yeah. When you consider AWS was a side hustle initially. Yeah, and now that's the bit that makes their money. The, yeah. This is a couple of quotes from this guy who wrote this blog because I thought they were really interesting. He's called David Heinemeyer Hansen. He's Danish. Um, he said, uh, so his blog's called Why We're Leaving the Cloud. Um, and he said, it basically starts off saying, it's finally time to conclude renting computers is mostly a bad deal for medium-sized companies like ours with stable growth. The savings promised in reduced complexity never materialised. He was saying, so one of the interesting things he points out is that they're still paying, um, they're trying to get off the public cloud. They're paying about half a million, half a um, uh, they're not that big, they're pay- but they're paying half a million to Amazon for certain public cloud services at the moment. And he said, do you know how many insanely beefy servers you could purchase on a budget of half a million dollars per year? Mm. And then on this issue that we often talk about of concentration in the market, you know, and this is an interesting thing in Synergy stats, actually, that I picked out, was um, the, sh- the market share of um, Microsoft, AWS and Google has gone up from uh, 61%. This is globally, 61% in 2017 to 66% now. Yeah, yeah I picked that um, one up too. And uh, So it keeps growing. Yeah. And this guy said, um, you know, this this guy, this Danish guy said, it stu- it's, this, is, this seems like another reason why they're trying to get off it. It strikes me as downright tragic that this decentralized wonder of the world, he means the internet, is now largely operating on computers owned by a handful of mega corporations. If one of the primary AWS regions goes down, seemingly half the internet is along, is offline along, along mm. with it. This is not what DARPA designed. Um, DARPA? DARPA is the defense agency. Oh, yeah. Those, yeah, uh, I can't remember what it stands for. But, but you know, you, I think one of the reasons why maybe not a lots and lots of companies are are thinking this way um, is because they see what what does using the public cloud do? It basically shifts capex to opex, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you spend a lot of money on setting up your own data so centers. It's still renting make, instead of owning. It's renting yeah. rather than owning. Now, what have we seen? Just talking about telecom specifically, but you this desire to offload your towers, for instance, is very very similar to me. They probably they see a short term benefit from doing that, don't they? You know, they can go and list those assets, they can invite equity partners in, you know, and then they've got funding for other bits of the business. But once you've done that, it's gone. Yeah. And then you're paying rental fees to a company, to another company, whether you part own it or yeah, not, yeah. to use infrastructure. And I think it's very much the same with the public cloud. I'm kind of wondering whether they, they you know, a lot of these guys, they're very short-termist publicly listed companies. Yeah, it's all about quarterly statements and keeping the investment community happy. You know, yes. You 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 go and you, you go and strike a public cloud deal, and you get some immediate benefit. But but longer term, does it really make sense? Have they really done the numbers? You're slightly and mortgaging the future, aren't you? You're slightly mortgaging, and I think some of them maybe have just not. You know, maybe they've not sort of. I mean, the Deutsche Telekom points about you can tap into their AI, AI ML, data analytics expertise, to- totally valid. But maybe some of them have kind of overestimated the, you know, the earnings that you can 
the savings rather that you can sort of realise from the public cloud. And then I think one of the problems with you know people that have gone into the public cloud and now might be thinking you know maybe it's not such a good idea. Now we've scaled up and we have the the heft to do this ourselves. It's just bloody hard to get out of it, isn't it? It's yeah. the thing we always talk about, lock-in. Indeed. Get, getting off the public cloud and just going back to on-premises or using your own private clouds is as hard as moving from one cloud to another. You know, you have this terrible sort of lock-in situation. It's like trying to leave the mob, yeah? <laughs> you know, it's like that Al Pacino quote. Or trying know? to lead... Just when some, I thought I was out, they pulled me back. Or trying to, lead, you know, trying to leave some kind of cult or full-on religion yeah. or whatever. Um uh, one one more thing, and we're going to have to wrap up soonish. Um, another analyst um, bit of data that I reported on recently, yesterday, in fact, was Gartner, and they've done a forecast on spending on public cloud services, um, and they reckon they reckon it's actually going to pick up. Yeah, yeah, no. Twenty um, percent growth. I think they. What they define as cloud might be slightly different to what Synergy defines as cloud, because I think their total market sizes are different. Yeah, um, but they break it out by segment. There's lots of lots of asses. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about the ass. Yeah, yeah there's, there's there's B pass and pass and SAS yeah. and IAS. Yeah, IAS. I think IAS is, my is the classic sort of yeah, <laughs> public cloud stuff, though, isn't it? That's the most sort of. Is that what is that the the classic public cloud? Thing, well, that's right? that's renting that's sort of renting basic. Yeah, so that's infrastructure ser- service services, space, isn't yeah. it? Type type thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I just thought you know, and there's some quotes from from the analyst that wrote this thing saying cloud migration is not stopping, and and they're very bullish. I mean, you never. I'm not accusing Gartner of anything, but you're never totally sure what incentives analysts have if they're really bullish about something. But then but then their data's there. So you can extrapolate it. All they're doing is slightly tweaking up. They could have tweaked down, but the fact that they're tweaking up, I mean, you know, to your point about um, people sort of mortgaging the future, according to Gartner, the, their desire to do so seems to be accelerating. I just, I just find it, I mean, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about, and he's a software guy, yeah? yeah. And, and he's not the only one saying it. I mean, we've had James on, uh, on this pod talking about companies that he's canvassed, saying similar yeah. things in the telecom sector. We've had Dropbox and others doing it. Um, and there's been other organisations writing about this. Do the economics really make sense once you, once you get to a certain size? You know, it's very good for a startup, but once you get to a certain point, does it make sense? And... You know, if the main reason they're doing it then is not economics, and but they're still doing it, but but they're, maybe they're doing it because they want to, as you say, tap into some of these special services that these guys do to do with AI. And it, I mean, that's even more bloody frightening, for, frankly, to, to me. The organisations are using three big hyperscalers, all US-based, um, for for artificial intelligence yeah. and machine Skynet, learning. Yeah. You know, mm. I mean, does that? <laughs> Well, and, and you know, I was looking at some of the other quotes from the from the Gartner guy, and he makes the point that not only are people um, saving money by um, renting um, sort of server and, and processor space from someone else um, or platforms or whatever, but they're also Is saving. Gartner saying this. Yeah, well, I, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I, mean, I can I can do it directly, but some of his quotes are a bit. But there's there's lots of pass and sass in them. Okay, it gets a bit old. But to paraphrase him, he's basically again they're also saving money by not having to hire skilled like software engineers. Yeah, well, he, this Danish guy says that's bullshit. 
Oh. He says he's never heard, that was another quote I was going to read, but I didn't. But he oh, says, right. I've never heard of anybody being able to reduce operational complexity or the size of your workforce from doing public cloud deals. Okay, it's it's so one of those promised things that yeah, materialise. Yeah. So let's read this quote and see if that sounds like it's in direct contradiction. I'm certainly not picking a winner, as is all above my pay grade. This is one paragraph of what I copied from him. He goes, higher wage and more skilled staff are required to develop modern SaaS applications, so organizations will be challenged as hiring is reduced to control costs. But since PaaS, platform as service, can facilitate more, more efficient and automated code generation for SaaS applications, the rate of PaaS consumption, you see why I hesitated right. to read it out, um, will consequently increase. And my, my paraphrase is he seems to be saying... They're, they're outsourcing their software development yeah, as well so as their platforms. Is, uh, this is this guy from Basecamp. I've yet to hear of organisations at our scale being able to materially shrink their operations team just because they move to the cloud. Right. Okay, well, it looks like getting now, these, now, getting these that, two in a room would be quite interesting. Yeah, but he's, he's doing it. He's an analyst. Well, yeah. let's, not be too, let's not be too derisory about our analyst cousins. Mm. Um, no, I mean, he's no, just no, reckoning he stuff. You know, I'm sure the Blake knows what he's talking about. He's reckoning stuff. But yeah, and, and I, but I take your point that if someone someone on the front line um, experiences the contrary, oh, of course, we don't know what incentives this guy might have built in. He, he could be one of the reasons he yeah, rattles a cage like this could be to try and keep yep. providers totally. honest. Yeah. Um, but it's not an isolated case, I would say. No. There, there are other examples of, of, the, of this sort of thing uh, circulating. And yeah, maybe there's a desire to extract sort of better better terms and then eventually they'll turn around and write another blog saying why well, we went back into the cloud because you know now their margins are only 15 percent and we've managed to get rid of some of our operational team but it's um you know when you there's as i say, there's several stories like that yeah and, and it's it's something that other analyst companies have said actually that not not just gartner have said once you get to a certain size these economics you know to do with using the public cloud just start to slip away um, yeah, I mean, to me, that has always been the overriding reason to use it. Yeah, that's been the number one. You know, when we talk when we talk on the podcast and we try and be positive about the public cloud and and say, you know, it's it's so compelling. Why would you not do it? That compelling bit is usually about the economics, isn't it? You can save money by going with the public cloud compared to what you'd spend yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the other bit where there's certain yeah, there's a, there's a sweet, bits of there's cleverness that, the, that yeah, they offer. Yeah, the AI, ML, data analytics shit. All that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, going back to the uh, <clears throat> the Synergy one, where, where they had that chart showing that two-thirds of the cloud infrastructure services market is those three, and a third of it's just Amazon. So there's Amazon on 34% of the market, Microsoft on 21%, Google on 11%, next 20 companies, 25%, and all and long tail, 9%. Yeah, Huawei on and, 1%, I know. Right, well, it's, it's, it wasn't it's, mentioned, but it's yeah. In the, it's in the email. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I missed that. Bad me. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and the, that is growing. I, the, the proportion the big three have of the overall market is growing. Um there does come a point where you think, God, how sustainable is this? Yeah. Um, and, 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 that, and I mean... It, I mean, I mean, five percentage points in, in five years or whatever is quite a lot. You know, to be going up a percentage point a year is a lot, you know. Yeah. There's only a hundred of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yes. If you're already in the 60s, you don't have very much further to go, do you, before all of a sudden you're extremely dominant. Um, what was his final, the final one from um, um, 
Dinsdale, isn't it? Yeah, John, yeah, John Dinsdale. Dinsdale yeah. Uh, the final bit of his quote that I put in, which is probably worth reading out, because beyond these three, all other cloud providers in aggregate have been losing around three percentage points of market share per year. Yeah. Fucking hell. Um, uh, the key for these companies is to focus on specific portions of the market where they can outperform the big three. Well, it looks like they're not doing a very good job of it. Yeah. Um, so, yes. And, and then my final paragraph, you know, was saying, well, this is this is all a bit, I think I said, for those who, who fear the near omnipotence of the big three in the technology space, uh, Dinsdale's comments will make grim reading. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, it it kind of backs up and, you know, I'll, I'll give you a chance to have a last comment if you want one and, that, and then we'll wrap it up. Kind of backs up. Yeah, we've been doing all this doom mongering about public cloud for years, and we've had people like Danielle Royston go, "All right, guys," but you know, it's inevitable, and and it makes sense, and just stop, you know, stop moaning about it. But yeah, when you see market share numbers like that, you sort of think, even and and this isn't in, in any way trying to demonise them and say they've got any kind of nefarious. They're just dominant, just in the same way that. They're probably too dominant. The certain companies are too dominant when it comes to social media, and certain companies are probably too dominant when it comes to digital advertising. I mean, digital advertising is dominated in the West by just Google and Facebook. Yeah. Um, but, so I feel but, like that about public cloud. Yeah, as well. but this is this is scarier than that. I don't yeah. care about people yeah, yeah, yeah. Do- dominating digital advertising because advertising shit, quite frankly, and, and it's not going to jeopardise civilization. You know, we yeah. can we can I, I can sit there watching my digital adverts flash up on, on the screen and all that crap and. Public cloud is, you know, uh, I mean, that guy really put it well. I thought the Danish guy, you know, if, if one AWS region goes down, half the internet goes with yeah, it, yeah. seemingly. Um, yeah, so we, that's the we, all, all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, thing. we're in a technology dependent world. And by technology dependent, I mean internet dependent world, where mm. the internet's controlled by three big companies. Yes, who are increasingly getting lent on by governments like the US government. Yeah, you know, now, now we're about to have a metaverse controlled by Facebook. Indeed. I, but I will. So I agree with you that that is a bigger concern, but I'll push back slightly on the digital advertising because I think you were discounting the knock-on effects of the restriction of competition in the digital advertising market, which is our profession. One of the reasons there are fewer journalists, and we're lucky to have a fucking job, <laughs> um, is that um, you know what what pays journalist salaries is advertising. Yeah, now it's been flippant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I thought I'd just get on my my horse about it anyway. Um, what pays their, their salary? It's advertising, and increasingly the advertising has all flowed towards these these few giants. Granted, you know, publications like ours, are, are some degree to some degree, sort of Google and Facebook proof because we're niche, and, and we've got a very targeted audience, whereas they're more sort of big above the line sort of mass you know where 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 they the markets they've really cannibalized are, are things like sort of tv and and national newspapers and and magazines and classifieds and that sort of thing yeah um but yeah i i, I suppose that <clears throat> the thing that draws it all together and i think we all agree on and and anyone who is interested in in free market economics agrees on is too much of a concentration of power of market share of influence um, tends to be to the detriment of everyone except those those at the top yeah um, so yes all right um, if you don't have anything to add on that well we'll wrap it up there um, and say thanks a lot for watching we'll be about another week and a half for the next one but make sure you join us for that 